Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Last week when we uh, um, started in our study in Acts 9, you see uh, 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 capture what happens with Saul. And his saw in his uh, conversion into Jesus Christ and his belief into Jesus Christ. But then at the same time, as we continue and learn more about him and the work of the Lord in his life, before we, you know, before before we get into Acts 9, we're going to take a little, uh, a, a little side note into the life of Paul. And this is by Paul's own account. Uh, if you turn with me really quick to Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians 1 verse 11, this is Paul. Remember Paul is writing, we haven't really, we've touched on this a little bit um, in in the book of Galatians. But the church in Galatia was a church that was going back to the law. Uh, But then Paul, when he caught wind of it, he wrote a letter to them, wrote this uh, epistle to them. And just explaining certain things. And he gives a, 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 a first-hand account. Remember, Acts was written by Dr. Luke. So that's one account. But Luke was with Paul, too. You're going to see that um, they, they joined together in the latter chapters of the book of Acts. So we're going to get to that, you know, probably in about maybe a month or two. Um, but we're going to see how they converge kind of like in, in one joint effort. Paul goes on his missionary journeys, but then he comes back and then he jo- he joins with uh, certain other uh, apostles. He joins with Dr. Luke, uh, Peter, and then uh, he goes on several other missionary journeys. But when Paul, he's talking to the church in Galatia and he gives an account, he says in verse 11, but I make known to you, brethren, this is Galatians chapter one, verse 11, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting, you know, like a lot of times when people come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's because they hear the gospel. That's the the, the large majority, it's because they hear the gospel. But there are certain passages in scripture where these people were were shown by the Lord, and and Paul is such a case. He says he says I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's he's kind of a unique figure here in Scripture. I shouldn't say a figure. Uh, he's this historical account of our brother. Um, it's beautiful because you know you see. I don't know how to say it, but he has intimacy with the Lord, but it it's his intimacy, and not to suggest that intimacy has certain levels of depth to it. Well, maybe maybe I could say it that way, but you see, his intimacy with the Lord is it's not it's it's unlike other passages we read in scripture it's like unlike other people we see in scripture and i'll explain that but he says for i neither received it from man nor was i taught it but it came through the revelation of jesus christ 
For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. Remember, he was a Jew, or he, he's still a Jew, but he was, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he says, of my former conduct in Judaism as the religion, he says, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. You know, he had tremendous zeal for the Lord in his Judaism, the, the, the religion Judaism. But then at the same time, remember, we studied last week when the Lord spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul continues in his explanation to the church. He says, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. So, you know, picture like a school class, you know, like you're in school and, you know, you might be like, you know, you get like a couple C's, a whole bunch of B's, you know, maybe an A. But then you have like a guy in the class that gets like A's all the time. And then you have another guy in the class who gets like, you know, A plus all the time, does the extra credit stuff. And, you know, instead of having a 4.0, he has like a 4.5. You're like, wow, how does a guy do that? How does somebody do that? Well, you know, they, they've done the extra credit stuff. And so they're like the valedictorian. Back in the day, I hear the colleges, they don't do valedictorians anymore because it hurts people's feelings. But that's another uh, that's another issue. So he's kind of like that guy. He's like, whoa, you know, you have like the hardcore Pharisees, but he's like even like he ups the ante because of his zeals. He says how I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. It's very interesting here because you start to see a picture of Paul or before he became Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. You see a picture of Saul, the zeal that he had. And then, you know, when you start to read the passages in the Old Testament, I'm not suggesting that you, that it's, you know, his behavior and the persecution of the church. I'm not suggesting that it was a good thing. But you get an understanding of why he was doing it because, you know, in, 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 in blasphemy in accordance with the law is death. And so what he thought of the people of the way, he thought, wow, these are blasphemous people. But then at the same time, the Lord captured his heart. The Lord captured his heart. That's what's so cool about, you know, when we walk in Christ, when we abide in Christ, you know, you're going to, like we study on, on Wednesdays, you know, when, 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 when Moses came down from the mountain, you know, he saw the golden calf. And what's so beautiful about walking with Christ is, you know, we're going to encounter people people we know, people we work with, people out in the community, people everywhere, where they're going to have like golden calves like crazy, all shapes, sizes, you know, and they're the hook, line and sinker. They're bought into that. And what's so cool is you see Moses as, you know, like uh, 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 he gives, you know, he's he makes his stand for righteousness. But at the same time, you know, you look at uh, uh, Exodus 32 which is a terrible chapter. It's a beautiful chapter in terms of, you know, it's part of the word of God, but it's so painful to read. So painful to even fathom, like what in the world is Israel doing with the golden calf? But then, you know, you start to read even further and it's like, well, it's so painful to read. You turn the page, chapter 33, 34, 35, and you start to read and wow, you know, where we're at on Wednesday in Exodus 36, you know, it's like, whoa, this is so beautiful. Because you have a different people. The golden calf is now history. And, you know, such is the case with Paul. 
You look at his past and it's like, oh my goodness, this guy is a persecutor of the church. He wants to destroy the church. He took women and men in chains to bring them bound to Jerusalem so they can, you know, uh, 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 pay the price, go to jail and maybe even get stoned like Stephen. How could this man even stand up for Christ? How could this man even come close to what Christianity is, to what our faith in Jesus Christ? But yet he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what's so cool about newness in Christ, but then also the past. The past is prologue. Never forget that. Bind that on your heart. Past is prologue. You say, what do you mean? You know, when you get a book, you know, you start to read a book, you know, and, you know, before you get to, you know, chapter one, you see it has like a prologue and it kind of paints a picture of, you know, kind of sets the stage, so to speak, sets the stage and so, you know, you read the prologue and it's like, okay, I see what's happening now. And then you get to chapter one and you're kind of like, okay, I, I get where we're at now. That's what I mean when I say past is prologue. You know, so many times people get stuck in the past. Like, oh my goodness, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. It's like, okay, I get it. That's cool. But look what the Lord has done. Look at what Jesus Christ has done. Look what God our Father has done. With His only begotten Son, He's taken your sin, He's taken my sin, and He's placed it upon His only begotten Son because He loves you. Past is prologue. Never, ever, ever, until your last dying breath, never forget that. Past is prologue. Look at what happens here with Paul. He continues in the church at Galatia, writing this letter, chapter 1, verse 15. But when it pleased God, it's kind of interesting here because, you know, it's, you know, it, it like Calvinists, you know, they start to say, you know, God, it, God orchestrated this, the, the, the persecution of the church. You know, it's like, well, is he got, does that mean that God wants persecution? And you listen to Calvinistic arguments about this and it's like, wait a second, this doesn't. This doesn't line up. It doesn't line up. But when it pleased God, you know, the way I like to see it, you know, when you start to read the Old Testament and New Testament, I kind of see it like, you know, like, mm, how do I say it? Like Tai Chi kind of. And I don't mean Tai Chi like the, the in a doctrinal sense. I mean, you know, I mean Tai Chi in the, the discipline of fighting type of sense. You know, where like, you know, you... Like in accordance with Tai Chi, that the, the fighting doctrine, not the, the the fighting discipline, I should say, but not the actual, you know, there's spiritual undertones to, you know, the certain types of martial arts, but like Tai Chi, kind of like the yin and yang, how you use someone's power against them, you know, and, and it's kind of like that. That's how I see it. And I'll put it, you say, like, I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, remember Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God. All things work together for good. So that's what I mean when I say, like, maybe I shouldn't have said Tai Chi, but I meant, it, like, if you see somebody who's, you know, well-versed in Tai Chi, you know, that they'll, they'll use, like, someone will punch them, and then they'll use that force of their punch, and they'll counter it. So it's like, it's like they're not even using their own strength. They're using... The punch using that power and then they're, you know, kind of like reallocating it, you know, so it's kind of like that. 
me personally, I'm not a fan of Tai Chi. Because you got to be strong, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you fight people and they're, not, they're really tough. <laughs> it's hard. So the little guys don't like, you don't like Tai Chi. It's the strong guys that like Tai Chi. So... It says here, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Very interesting here because, you know, you see the word called here. Whenever you see the word called, Old Testament and New Testament, think of the word bid. <clears throat> think of the word bid. Because nine times out of ten, that's how it translates in the Greek, in the Hebrew, in Aramaic, that's how it translates. Like, thus saith the Lord. You can read it as, thus biddeth the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament, thus biddeth the Lord. Nine times out of ten, that's how you can read it in Scripture. Thus biddeth the Lord. You say, like, I don't go, okay, why are you making such a big deal about it? It's a huge deal. Because the same proposition was made to Pharaoh. Thus biddeth the Lord. The same proposition was made to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a choice to make. All these people in Holy Scripture had a choice to make. You, me, everybody, we have a choice to make. Remember, you know, there's the passage, you hear me reference the passage every now and then in Isaiah 66, verse 4, where the Lord says, I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but no one heard. It's Isaiah 66. The reason why I bring this up is because there's this crazy doctrine going around where God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell. I shouldn't say there's this crazy doctrine going around. It's been around for a long time. And it, it removes personal responsibilities which is biblically incorrect. It doesn't match up. I make specific point about these things on purpose because of the days that we're living in. I make specific point in mentioning these things because when you hear them, you can know, oh, wait a second, I read my Bible and you know what? It's not correct. These things that these people say, these things that these people you know, they adhere to. But what does the Bible say? I love this so much how Paul, you know, verse 15 is a, a pretty loaded verse in terms of, wait a second, you know, it ple when it pleased God, does that mean that God liked the persecution of the church? No, he worked all things together for good to those who love God. He says, okay, you know, there's this guy who's persecuting the church. And so I'm going to take that force and turn it around. That's when I was talking about the Tai Chi. He'll do the same in your life. He'll do the same in my life. He'll do the same. That's how he works. You read the Bible and you see all these things happen where there's just terrible, terrible things against Israel, against the church. But then what do you see? You see God working all things together for good. Look at the events of the last days. You read Revelation. It's like, whoa, this is wild stuff that's happening on the face of the earth. But then you get to the end and it's like, oh, whoa, this is beautiful. All things working together for good to those who love God. You see, that's what I mean when I say the, 
the Tai Chi. I shouldn't say it Tai Chi because it's like, okay, what do you mean Tai Chi? Because I mean Tai Chi in the fighting sense. I don't mean Tai Chi in there, you know, in the doctrinal sense. That's kind of like Eastern mysticism type stuff. But that's how my mind works. When you see people fight in the discipline of Tai Chi, that's how they fight. He says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. This revealing is apokalupto in the Greek, apokalupto. Remember, we have the, the book of Revelation, apokalypsis. The revealing translates as to reveal, to remove the cover and... Uh, um, to, to remove the cover and to disclose. You know, you read legal documents and you have like full disclosures. You read financial documents and you have full disclosures. You read these things, you read a prospectus. It's full disclosure. It's the revealing. Verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I love this verse so much because this particular verse is the reason why we're here in Galatians 1. Because, you know, normally we're in, we're, we'd be in Acts 9, which we're going to get to. But when Paul got saved, when Paul, his, his name was Saul at the time, but when he got saved, remember he was blinded? And then Ananias came to him and touched him. He received his sight, you know, and then at the same time, he ate a meal. And, you know, he ate a meal and he received strength. And so he received strength. And then all of a sudden he started to preach the gospel, preach the good news. But Paul says specifically here that when Jesus Christ was revealed, he says by his own account, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't go and check with people. What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? He might have had those questions. But he goes directly to the source. He says in verse 17, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. It's like, what are... He went to Arabia? You know, he, like he's a new believer and he didn't go to the apostles. He's a new believer and he didn't go to Jerusalem. He went to Arabia. Remember, he says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He goes directly to the source. Intimacy. That's what blows me away so many times. You see people reading these books, you know, how to be a prayer warrior, how to do this, you know, how to grow your faith written by Josh Mukatelli, you know, how do you, how to, you know, uh, be a missionary written by uh, Josephine Schmuckatelli, you know, and you read these, it's like, what in the world? Why are you reading? Go to the source. Go to the source. The word of God. The word of God go directly to the source. The holy, holy word of God inspired of the Holy Spirit. And remember, Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One. One God. But no, people like, you know, 
I, I don't like the way the Bible puts it this way. So I'm going to read this book written by Joe Schmo. I'm going to read this other book written by Josephine Schmo. And it's like, wait a second. Go to the source. Don't confer with flesh and blood. Confer with Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. So beautiful here because, you know, in our study in the book of Acts, you see Paul became, a, he was a new believer, but he went directly to the source. Directly to the source, intimacy with the Lord. Intimacy. You say, okay, well, what happens in Arabia? What's in Arabia? Why did he go to Arabia? Turn with me again to Galatians 4. In Galatians 4. In Galatians 4, verse 21, you hear Paul, remember the church in Galatia, was a, they wanted to go back to the law. There were some of them that were saying, if you want to be a good Christian, you have to go back to the law. If you want to be a good Christian, you have to, some people were going to see it in the book of Acts, they were saying you have to be circumcised too. You have to do these things too. In accordance with the law, they were saying in accordance with the law, it's like, wait a second, the law is... There's a new covenant. And so Paul writes this church to Galatia. It says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law. This is verse 21 of chapter 4, Galatians. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? Do you not hear the law? Remember Jesus Christ? We just got done in the book of Matthew. But how many times uh, Jesus Christ would call the people deaf and blind, the religious leaders? Deaf and blind because they were, they could see the letter of the law, but they couldn't see. They were blind to the spirit of the law. The law points to Jesus Christ. For it is written, he says, that Abraham had two sons. The one, the one by a bondwoman that was Hagar. Remember we studied in, 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 in uh, uh, Genesis Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, which was Hagar. She gave birth to Ishmael. The other by a free woman, that was Sarah, who gave birth to Isaac. But he who was of the bondwoman, that's Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman, through promise, that was Isaac. Which things are symbolic. You see, you read the Old Testament, you read these passages about uh, Abraham and Sarah and then uh, uh, Hagar and you read it and you're like, wow, what's happening here? I don't get this. There's this, you know, this, 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 this weird interchange that's happening here. I'm not, no disrespect to the Lord, but it's like, you know, you read it with a carnal mind and you're like, wow, this weirdest stuff that's happening here. But it's revealed that these things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Covenant and New Covenant. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Mount Sinai in Arabia. Very interesting. Remember, Paul didn't confer with the flesh. And Paul did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. 
He went to Arabia. What's revealed that's in Arabia here in verse 25 of chapter 4? Mount Sinai. I love that so much. There's, it's not a popular, you know, you ask somebody, a religious scholar, hey, did Paul go to Mount Sinai? Most likely they say no. Me personally, I believe he did. I believe he did. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. He's speaking of Zion. Not the geographic Zion, the location of Jerusalem. He's speaking about the new Jerusalem. He says, which is the mother of all, translates as like the motherland. You know, you, you talk to Russians, you know, and they talk about Russia as the motherland. You know, Mother Russia. You know. That's what he's saying here. Jerusalem is like the motherland. The, the new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem above is free. And where do you see Zion? You see Zion in Revelation at the very end. Zion. That's our destination. So many times, you know, people think, okay, our destination is the rapture. Well, you know, that's cool to have the destination point as a rapture. But, you know, I, I would equate if if we were taking a church trip to uh, Disneyland, you know, we get on a bus, rent a nice bus, you know, uh, maybe not a bus, we rent a really nice motorhome, a big one. So we don't, you know, go crazy. The semis, you know, the ones that are semis, they're like double deckers. We'll get one of those guys. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're taking our church trip. We're going to Disneyland. And, you know, to say the rapture is our final destination point, that's like saying Medford is our final destination point. You know, it's like, like, what do you mean? We're going to Disneyland. Why do you say Medford is our final destination? Well, that's how I equate it. You people think, you know, oh, I got to make the rapture. That's my final destination. No, 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 no. That's like going to Disneyland and saying that Medford is your final destination. It just doesn't. It doesn't correlate with scripture. Zion is our home. The new Jerusalem. That's where it's all, everything is just done. It's all done, everything. And you see uh, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Bride. All one. So, you know, why are we here? Why are we talking about these things? Well, you know, this when he says in verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. You know, does that mean to say Paul went to Sinai? I believe he did. I believe he did. In fact, I strongly, strongly, strongly believe that. I did a map check. I look at, you know, Damascus, the distance from Damascus to Mount Sinai. You know, it's kind of like a, a, a rough estimation because, you know, where exactly Paul was geographically, it varies. And I figured, you know, you take a nice stroll, it'd be like 10, 10 to 11 miles a day. And if you take a stroll, if you, if you walk, 10 to 11 miles a day. You say, well, 10 to 11 miles a day, that's kind of a lot. Well, you know, it's possible to go 25 miles a day, 30 miles a day. But you got to be trucking. If you're going to do 30 miles a day, 
You say, no way, it's impossible to do 30 miles a day. Well, some people do it. Some people do more even. But a nice little stroll, you know, pausing for breakfast, pausing for lunch, pausing for dinner, having a nice rest, piece of cake to do 10 miles a day, 10 to 11 miles a day. So what happens, you know, like like the distance from Mount Sinai to Damascus, it ranges from about 708 to 711 kilometers. Put into miles, it's about, it's in the 440s, high 430s, low 440s. Which means that if he did 10 miles a day, that'd be about 40 days. Okay. Why are you saying it like this, Jay? You ask me. Read 1 Kings chapter 9. That's my homework assignment. Read 1 Kings chapter 19. And then, you know, you'll see what I'm talking about. In 1 Kings 19, there's an account of Elijah. And Elijah thinks he's all alone. In fact, he's convinced, wow, where, where are the righteous? Where are the righteous? And the Lord says, okay, I want to take you on a little journey. Read about that journey. That's my homework assignment. First Kings 19. And so, you know, the Lord shows him one thing. The Lord shows him the next thing, a big earthquake. Was the Lord there? No, the Lord wasn't there. And then the still small voice. That's where the Lord was. And the Lord gave Elijah reassurance. You know, yeah, Elijah, I know you feel alone, but you're not alone. There are 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. This is so cool. Like, remember, like in our study on, on Wednesday, Moses, when he comes down the mountain, it's like, wow, you know, he's like all alone. Where, where is he? Him and jo- uh, Joshua. All these people, you know, they're worshiping the golden calf. And you keep turning the page, turning the page, turning the page. You get to Exodus 35, Exodus 36. And you see these people that the Lord has put wisdom and understanding into, able to teach. You see, wow, Moses isn't alone anymore. He has backup. He's not alone. That's what's so cool about having intimacy with Jesus Christ, intimacy with the Lord. Is because you start to understand, wait a second, like, you know, like in one sense, you know, there's solitude with the Lord, which is immensely beautiful. Immensely. The the words don't even do it justice. It's incredibly beautiful. And then you will feel kind of alone because you're like, man, you know, I love to be on my knees and pray. I love to pray. I love to read the Bible. I love to do these things. And you look around you and like nobody else likes to do it. But there are you'd be like Elijah, you know, the Lord's like, hey, you're not alone. There's 7,000 people that are, you know, they're like the same. They haven't bowed the knee to Baal. All the people in the world, people even in the church, bowing the knee to whatever. Golden calves all over the place. Inside the church, outside the church, it doesn't matter. You see golden calves all over the place. And you love your intimacy with the Lord. And you're like, man, I'm all alone. Where, where? And then you start to see all these people in the Bible aren't alone. There's other people that the Lord has. That the Lord uses. So be of good cheer. 
And you're going to see, you know, the, the events of the last days, the Lord just rocks the world. Rocks the world. So people can believe in Buddha. People can believe in, you know, the Virgin Mary. People can believe in whatever. Hare Krishnas, they can believe in all kinds of different things. But then what happens when the world shakes? You know, what happens when the tornadoes come and destroy everything? What happens when the pestilence come and destroy everything? Remember Egypt? How they strongly held on to their gods? Yeah, the frogs came. No big deal. Let's just, you know, let them die. We'll just pick them up, put them in baskets and throw them away, you know. And what happens when the, when the water turns into blood? You know, what happens when the hails come? Slowly but surely, Egypt starts to oh man, you know, our gods can't save us. Who is this God of Israel? And then, you know, all of a sudden the locusts come, destroy the crop. All of a sudden the firstborn are dead. And even the religious leaders of Pharaoh, they were like, you know, Pharaoh, let the people go because the God of Israel, he is Lord. He is God. All these events, you know, plague number one, plague number two, plague number three, they were like little stepping stones for people to get rid of their gods. Such is going to be the case in the last days. Plague after plague after plague after plague. You're going to see these things. And it's so powerful here because, you know, there's, you know, like we took this little, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say detour. Because you see Paul, you know, remember, he's hardcore. He's hardcore. I mean, he's like straight up the stuff. Remember Galatians uh, 1 verse 14, he says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father's. He was hardcore. He was, you know, he might have had a 3.8 student, 4.2 or a 3.2, 3.8, 2.8. But Paul was like a 5.0. You know, he was exceedingly zealous. And he didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. He went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Notice verse 18 in Galatians 1, verse 18. He says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So his time period in Damascus was within that three-year window. Three-year window. So now that we have this backdrop of Paul, let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Don't forget the homework assignment either. 1 Kings 19. Read that. And the Lord, I pray the Lord will blow you away. He blew me away. So let's go back to Acts 9 now. Remember, Acts 9 was written by Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke. And the book of Acts, it's not, you know, like a six-month period of time. The span of time from Acts 1 to the last chapter in the book of Acts, it's about 40 years, give or take a couple years, but it spans about 40 years because Jesus Christ was crucified in 
around 32 AD, me personally, I believe it's about 32 AD. There's variants of opinion that, you know, it ranges from 29 AD to 34 AD. I've heard compelling arguments for, for all, but you know, when I read the historical accounts, when I read the Bible, I say it's about 31, 32 AD, me personally. And so, you know, the the end of Acts, you know, uh, right after the, the end of Acts, historically, it was uh, the destruction of uh, Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD. So you take 70 minus 32, and, you know, it's about 40 years. Uh, if I'm doing my math right. <laughs> but yeah, it's about 40. So the book of Acts is a huge book in terms of time. It's a huge book. It covers a, 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 a big, you know, some passages, you know, you might read one chapter where it's like, well, you know, this is a year in this chapter. You might read another chapter and you're like, man, this is just a day in that 40 years. So look at verse 20 now of Acts chapter 9. Immediately, this is actually verse 19. Verse 19. We, le we, end we left that last week. We ended in verse 19. But I'm going to read it again uh, for as a little extra credit. As a little extra credit in case you did my homework assignment. Which is the 1 Kings 19. In verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. He was strengthened. So why is that a big deal? Well, you'll find out in the homework assignment. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Very interesting because remember, you know, there's this three-year period. What we read in Galatians, there's this three-year period where he remained in, in Damascus. But this three-year period, you know, what happens in this three-year period? Remember, Paul didn't immediately confer with the flesh and blood. With flesh and blood, he goes directly to the source. But then at the same time, you know, he starts to learn all these things and learn more and more and more and more. He grows, he matures, he matriculates. And he wasn't shy about it. He wasn't shy about Jesus Christ. Immediately, he preached the Christ, the Messiah. Remember, Jesus Christ, you know, Christ isn't his last name. Immediately, he preached the Messiah. You say Jesus Christ, it's like Jesus the Messiah. In the synagogues, I love it so much. He goes to the source. Right in the synagogues. That he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name? on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. This is so cool because remember, Paul was on a specific mission from Jerusalem. He wrote, he got letters from the high priest in Jerusalem and he goes, he was going to go up to Damascus and give these letters to the synagogues and say, look, I'm here from Jerusalem and I'm going to capture these people of the way. I'm going to capture these Christians, these churches, these people who call on the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he'd go to one synagogue, another synagogue and say, yep, here's my credentials. I'm Saul and I'm out to destroy. And the people are like, wait a second, isn't, isn't this him? Isn't this the guy that brought in the letter last week? Isn't this the guy? He told me he was going to come and, you know, arrest these Christians and take them. 
And here he is talking about them, their Messiah. Here he is saying these things. Remember, Paul came to destroy the church, the people of the way, and now he's preaching Jesus Christ. You know, we see passages in the New Testament where there's specific mention of defection away from truth, which is called apostasy. But then we also see something else, which is a defection into truth. A complete and total denial of the former ways. A complete and total denial of the old life, the old man, the old woman. To reckon the old man dead, to reckon the old woman dead, to carry your cross. And say, you know, yeah, I used to do this. Yeah, I did this. But who cares? I don't do that. Remember, past is prologue. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Past is prologue. A complete and total denial of the old man, the old woman. And so the people were dumbfounded. The people in the synagogue was like, what? He, he, he showed me the letter. He came here. He was so hardcore. And he was like, yep, I'm here from Jerusalem. I read the letter signed by Caiaphas, you know. I read the letter signed by the high priest. And so I said, okay, yeah, we know that these people of the way, they, you know, they're about a mile away. They live in this neighborhood. You know, go arrest them. Now, what happened to this Saul guy? I haven't seen him in a week. A week and two days later, he comes to the synagogue and he's preaching the, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. These people were amazed. They were dumbfounded. It says in verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength. I love verse 22 so much. Because he matured. He matriculated. I'll put it another way. He stopped drinking milk. Milk is such a beautiful form of food sustenance. But you know what? It's for babies. It's for babies. At what point will a believer in his or her heart of hearts stop consuming milk? At what point will the teeth start to grow to where they can tear at meat and eat the spiritual you know, ribeye steaks and eat the spiritual pork chops. And I say pork chops on purpose to those who have ears. <laughs> At what point? So many times people like to be on milk. People love to be on milk. Because you know what? You know, I used to be such a person. I used to love milk. And the reason why I love milk is because I could... Limit my responsibility. I could limit my accountability. And give somewhat of an excuse and say, well, I didn't know. When in all actuality, I was without excuse. I refused to grow up. You see it? Look at millennials today. You know, 20, 22-year-old. 28-year-old, and they think, wow, I'm an adult, I'm an adult. Yeah, don't talk to me like a child, I'm an adult. And then they text their mom, mommy, what's for dinner? Daddy, 
Can I borrow some money? You know, daddy, can I have your car keys? Oh, don't talk to me like a child. I'm an adult. I'm an adult. You know, mommy, can we have macaroni and cheese? Stupid. They like milk. They like to be babies. At some point in time, you have to cut the umbilical cord. And then at the same time, you know, the same thing applies spiritually. At some point in time, you know, is to say, yeah, you know, I'm thankful for this milk. I'm not denigrating the milk. But what I am speaking against is the arrested development. It's to grow and mature and develop. You know, you see it in the natural. You look at a, 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 an eight-year-old. You know, your eight-year-old cousin, you see, okay, you're eight years old, cool. And then, like, you never see him again. You know, time passes, you see, wow, this is my cousin. He's got a full beard now. He's buff. He's huge. He's not, not an eight-year-old anymore. He's developed. But the same thing applies in the spiritual sense. Spiritual development. That's what happens with Saul here. In verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength. And confounded the Jews who dwell in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Remember, Saul is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, you know, exceeded in the law. What we read in uh, Galatians 1. He exceeded in the law. And he was able to teach from the law and say, hey, the law points to Jesus Christ. And this is how. You remember this law? Do you remember this law? Look at how it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Look at how he... And you know what? He proved it. He proved it. He confounded the Jews. It's very interesting. You know, when you confound somebody, when you're in an argument, I'm not advocating arguing. Maybe I am. I don't know. I'll let you decide. But when you confound somebody in an argument, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll give my millennial, my millennial example. You know, oh, I don't like how you talk to me like I'm a child, like I'm a kid. It's like, okay, number one, adults don't make that argument. <laughs> and then it's like, number two, like, you're 22, you're 28, and you're still living at home. You know, what gives? Number three, you know, I see you argue with your parents. It's like, I could go on and on forever. You know, I I, I, I see, you know, I'm friends with your parents. You know, your dad shows me the time. Mommy, what's for dinner? Daddy, what's for dinner? Adults don't do those things. But when you confound somebody, it's like there's a point of contention. Such is the case with Paul, with Saul here. He's confounding the Jews. Remember, he's not, you know, a 2.8 student. He's not a 3.5 student. He's not a 4.0 student. He's straight up 5.0. He knows his stuff. You know, and in the letter of the law, he was killing Christians. He came to Damascus in the letter of the law. But 
on the road to Damascus, he's now under the spirit of the law. What do you mean under the spirit of the law? He has a new covering and his covering is Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. You see, he's a different guy. And he's proving that Jesus is the is the that Jesus is the Christ confounding the Jews. In verse 23, now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. You see, nothing new under the sun. They plotted that with Jesus Christ. They plotted that with Stephen. You're going to see, you know, the Christians. They, they're under the, in the book of Acts, they're under the microscope. But then they're also in the crosshairs. Because they're confounded. Nothing new under the sun. You start to see the religious establishment. If I was like a hardcore, you know, Jew and I'm in synagogue and this 5.0 Jew comes walking in and explaining from the law that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, at that point, there's a fork in my heart, a fork in the road in my heart and in my mind. I can either, you know, strongly adhere to my law, the letter of the law, or... I can listen to what this 5.0 guy is saying. Proving that Jesus is the Christ. And I can fall on my face before the Lord and repent and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But you know what we see a picture of here? The religious establishment. They like being the religious establishment. The religious elite class. They like being the elite class. And it's the exact same today with the religious establishment. They like their high place. What are you talking about the religious establishment, you ask? Well, the religious establishment would be like mainline. Mainline uh, uh, Protestants. Mainline Protestants. Mainline Evangelicals. And in the last days, you're going to see this defection from truth. I shouldn't even say you're, you're go going to see the defection from truth. We're already seeing it, the defection away from truth. Episcopals, Methodists, Lutherans, and now even the Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention. How they go, they have their Bible colleges and they say, you know, if you want to, you know, gain the masses, you have to tickle their ears. I heard one of their professors say that. What does the Bible say? Don't tickle people's ears. Don't tell them what they want to hear. They say people in the last days, people will search out for pastors who will tickle their ears, whisper sweet nothings into their ears. False teachers, feel good messages. I'm all for feel good messages, but you know, when the Holy Spirit is the one making you feel good, making us feel good, making me feel good, when the Holy Spirit is doing that, but when man is doing it, they're like a cheesy salesman peddling lies. Because when you're a carnal person and you read the word of God, the word of God is so incredibly painful. Because the Holy Spirit is confronting the natural man, the natural woman. It's to say in your heart of hearts, 
whoa, I am wrong. I am wrong. I need to repent. And you repent and you yield to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you might have a problem with drugs, sex, alcohol, all kinds of different things. And you read the word of God and you're like, whoa, I'm wrong. I'm putting down the crack pipe. I'm denying all these things. This guy calls, this girl calls, I'm telling him to go fly a kite. I'm a Christian. And then all of a sudden, you know, a year passes, two years pass, and these former verses that used to be a, a knife in your heart, they're no longer a knife in your heart. You're like, whoa, this is so beautiful. I love this verse now. And then you start telling other people about these verses, except you're a little different because you now have a testimony, a firsthand account. Yeah, the Bible says this, but you know what? It came alive in my life. I used to do that. I used to be here where you were. Just like Moses. Remember Moses? He leaves Egypt. And when he's outside of Egypt, the Lord calls him and says, Hey, I want you to go back to Egypt and bring my people out. He does the same with, you know, man, woman, young, old. He'll take a person out of a situation, work with him or her. They get trained up. They mature. They matriculate. They have this understanding. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, you know what? Go back to Egypt. You're like, no, no, no. I don't want anything to do with Egypt. You know what? You have nothing to do with Egypt. You're set apart. You are consecrated. But I have a mission for you. I have a task for you. Remember Saul? He left the synagogue. And he didn't immediately confer with the flesh. He straight up goes to Mount Sinai in Arabia. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, hey, go back to synagogue. No, no, no. I want nothing to do with synagogue. I'm a Christian now. I don't believe in that stuff. No, I know you don't believe in that stuff, but you're set apart. You're consecrated. But you're now a fisher of men. And that's what he's doing. Proving that Jesus is the Christ. Straight up in the belly of the beast in synagogue. In the belly. That's what's so cool about being transformed. It's not just. I mean it is about the transformation. Which is beautiful. But it's now being used. Like you take a sword you know. You put the sword on the stone you know. And you start banging it you know. You burn it, get it all, get glowing hot. You start banging on it. And it's like, wow, you know, this sword, it used to be blunt. And you start banging on it, banging on it, banging on it. The sparks fly, whatever, you know. And you dip it in the water. And you're like, wow, look how sharp this puppy is. Look how sharp this blade is. Wow. And then you shine it, make it look all nice. Wow, look how beautiful this blade is. Look how it cuts. This is beautiful. And then what do you do? You hang it on the wall? No, 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 no. You take your sheath. You put it around your waist. You take the sword. You put the sword in the sheath. You walk out. And then, you know, the enemy comes. And you bust out that sword. You use it. That's what's so beautiful about growing, matriculating, being equipped. Being equipped, being trained up. 
is to say, wow, you know, I'm just going to bang on the sword for the rest of my life. No. Bang on the sword, you know, and then go out and use your sword. Like, you know, we had church Sunday and Wednesday. Sunday, you know, you're like banging on your sword. You know, come Wednesday, your sword blunt again. Because Monday, Tuesday, you've been using that sword like crazy. It's now blunt because you've been, you come in Wednesday, start banging on the sword again. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the sword gets blunt again because you've been using it. And then all in the come Sunday, you start banging on the sword again, nice and sharp. Of course, I'm metaphorically speaking, metaphysically speaking, supernaturally speaking. But it's like, okay, you know, we have the sword, which is the word of God. And this is say, well, I'm going to use this sword now. Offense. Offense. Defensive postures are beautiful. But there is such a thing as an offensive posture where we advance. And that's what Paul is doing here, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And then... And now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Nothing new under the sun. Remember, he had his three years in Damascus. Three years in Damascus. What do you mean? Where does it say three years in Damascus? Galatians 1. We just read that. Galatians 1.18. Three years in Damascus. And so he's like, yeah, it goes to Mount Sinai. I should say arguably goes to Mount Sinai. I can make a compelling case that he goes to Mount Sinai. Especially when you read the homework assignment. 1 Kings 19 and Elijah. He's conferring with Jesus Christ. Remember, he didn't immediately confer with the flesh, flesh and blood. He goes to the source. He confers with Jesus Christ. He confirms with Jesus Christ. And during his intimacy, during this time period, he's being a sponge with the Lord. Being a sponge. Learning, being equipped. Wow, my whole life I've been taught the law. I've been taught the law, this, that, 5.0 student. But now the Lord is showing me grace. The Lord is showing me mercy in a new way. Remember, it's like the law is like the, the backdrop, so to speak. I could, could say foundational too to Paul. What do you mean foundational? Well, remember, you know, the trees aren't supported by the, the branch. Trees are supported by the trunk and then the root. And Paul says, you're not the root, you're the branch. To the Gentiles, the Gentile Christians, you're the branch. The branch is not greater than the root. Remember, the law points to Jesus Christ. In verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. So, you know, they wanted to kill him, and he, he, he caught wind of it. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. It was a satanic plot, an evil, evil plot. Oh, this guy saw he comes to our synagogue, and he's preaching this, and we got our 4.0 student who can't even refute him. Our 4.0 student says this, our 4.0 guy. We even, we're hardcore. We have a 4.2 guy. And he says this about the law, but yet saw this 5.0 guy. He says, yes, but is it, it is also written. 
Yeah, Jeremiah says that, but you know what? Let's look at the psalm. Oh, but Paul, you know, Exodus says this, Leviticus says this. Yes, it does. But let's turn to Chronicles. Let's turn to Second Chronicles. Let's turn to this. Let's turn to First Kings. And you remember what Jesus said? There's those reports that we heard what Jesus said when he was at the Sea of Galilee. This is what he was talking about. So the Jews in the synagogue are like, wow, you know, this, this 5.0 kid comes walking in. And we can't refute him. We can't win against his arguments. Okay, that's it. Let's kill him. Hey, you, hey, you, go wait at the gate. And when you see Saul, kill him. That's what happens in verse 24. They watch the gates day and night to kill him. This satanic plot. In verse 24, I love this because you see the heavenly response here. The response of the Christians. This is kind of like, you know, uh, I got to think of another word for Tai Chi, but this is kind of like the Tai Chi, not in the doctrinal sense, but in the fighting sense. God working all things together for good to those who love him. The disciples took him by night and led him down to the wall in a large basket. Basket Translates as a, like a woven hamper. All things working together for good. All things working together for good. You know, I have to say, you know, in the last days, it's going to be revealed who the stupid people are. The people who adhere to dumb doctrines, doctrines of men. You know why I say it's going to be revealed? Because their dumb doctrines won't hold up to what the Lord is doing. Their dumb, stupid doctrines won't hold up to the events of the last days. You could be like a hardcore Buddhist. A hardcore Buddhist. And you're like, well, Buddha, help me. You could be a hardcore Catholic. You know, oh, Virgin Mary. Pray, you know, I pray to you, Virgin Mary. You know, and then the viruses come all kinds. This is just that we're in the early stages. You know, this is nothing what's happening. What's going to come? This is nothing. What happens when the earth starts shaking? So much so that mountains start to fall. You know, big high mountaintops, peaks. All these big, huge mountains. You look at, you know, Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens before the big eruption. And it just looks like a regular mountain with a point at the top. But then it blew up. It's like, where's the point? It looks like this blunted mountain. Picture all the mountains looking like that. Like Mount St. Helens. With the soft top, you know? Rounded top. Because all the mountains fall. That's how much the earthquakes are going to happen. You know, volcanoes, all kinds of natural disasters. Pestilence. A lot of death in the last days. You read the book of Revelation. Remember, if you hearken to our studies in the book of Revelation, a third of mankind dying. And it's not just once. It happens several times. A third of mankind. A lot of death. A third of man. So you take, you know, the world population and then you wipe out a third, you know, and then so you have a smaller amount. And of that amount, you wipe out another third. There's a lot of death in the last days. A lot of tribulation. 
plagues that befall the world. Because the Lord will make himself known. Just like he did in Egypt. The Lord will make himself known. And the heart of man in the last days, they're going to seek death, but they won't be able to find it. They're going to go crawl into caves and say, you know, mountains, rocks fall on me, but they won't be able to find death. It's going to be very, very difficult times. But don't forget Goshen. Never, ever, ever forget Goshen. When you read uh, uh, Exodus and the accounts of the of the uh, 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 of um, the plagues, and you read these accounts, it's like you know there's light where Israel was in Exodus chapter ten, verse twenty one. Exodus 10, 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. Remember, it's that palpable darkness. Translates as darkness and wickedness. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. And remember this. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Goshen. All the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. You see? All these things are going to befall the earth, but where are the Christians? Oh, but this guy told me this. I read this book, you know, How to Be a Prayer Warrior by Josh Mukatelli. And he tells me this. I read the Joe Schmo study Bible. He tells me it's okay to take the mark of the beast. No, all, all these false doctrines won't, will not hold water in the last days. They're upside down cups, upside down vessels that have no oil. And what is oil, oil used for? Light. Light. Remember the ten virgins? Five ran out of oil for their lamps. But five had plenty of oil. They had light. What we just read in Exodus 10. They had light. And so you see this, you know, all things working together for good to those who love God. In verse 25 of Acts 9. It's like, yeah, the Jews plotted to kill him, but what happens with the church? The disciples took him. And they say, hey, Saul, they want to kill you. There's these guys, they're at point. You know, they're right at the gates. And when they see you, they're going to kill you. So here, let me drop you out the window through our basket. So they let Paul down in a, in a hamper, a woven hamper. In verse 26, and when Saul had, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, there's other passages where he comes to Jerusalem. So, you know, whether this is in three years, you know, me personally, I believe it, it is within that three years that he goes. Remember in, in Galatians 1, when he says, uh, uh, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem in 118 Galatians. But here he says, uh, uh, when Saul had come to Jerusalem. So you see, there's this period of time in Damascus where the Lord took him and trained him up. 
and used him, and now he's still using him in Jerusalem. I love this so much. Because just like Moses, you know, Moses left Egypt. The Lord trained him and, you know, took him out of Egypt, trained him, trained him up. And then says, okay, now you're going back to Egypt. What was with, with, with Saul? He left Jerusalem, goes up to Damascus, and the Lord changed him. He stayed in Damascus for a while. And now it's like, okay, now go back to Jerusalem. Go back. You're different now. Don't be afraid of the world. Yes, this world is a dark place. Yes, this world is an evil place. Yes, you're going to see golden calves all over the place of all shapes and sizes. Little golden calves, big, huge golden calves. You're going to see people holding on to those golden calves like crazy. Like it's their lifeblood. Don't be afraid. Be a fisher of men, a fisher of women. Young, old, it doesn't matter. Be a fisherman. The Lord pulls you out of a situation. He works with you. He trains you up and says, okay, now you're ready to rock and roll. You've been equipped. Just, you know, Sunday, bang on that sword. Wednesday, bang on that sword. In your own personal studies, bang on that sword. You walk out the door, use that sword like crazy. You know? Offense. Offense. And so in verse 26, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Remember who he was. You know, for him, he could say, yeah, pass his prologue. But he still had to reap what he had sown. The people were like, man, you know, this guy, he, he left Jerusalem. We haven't seen him for three years. We haven't seen him for a while. Now he's back. Man, you know, hide. Don't come out of your houses. Because he's going to kill you. Remember, he, he took, you know, Uncle Joey. He took, you know, Aunt May. He took them into prison. Now, you know, don't mess with this guy. He's no joke. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. They thought, man, he's tricking us. This is what's happening today in the persecuted church in Arab countries, in China, in North Korea. They're like spies. You know, these, you know, hardcore Islam, uh, Islamists, these hardcore like ISIS, which has diminished in number. But, you know, these hardcore Islamists, they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And then they go into the church. They say, wow, you're a pastor. Wow, nice to meet you, pastor. Wow, cool. And then, you know, they break for church. They go home at night. And the guy says, okay, this is the church. This is where the church meets. This is the pastor. This is an elder. This is a deacon. And it's like, okay, cool. Let's go chop off their heads. Spies. That's happening today. Much wisdom is going to be required in the last. Much wisdom is required, you know, just in everyday conduct. But in the last days, much wisdom will be required. You're going to see the ones who don't have wisdom are the ones who will fall. The ones who will fall. People all over the place just dropping like flies. Because they place their trust in Buddha. They place their trust in the Virgin Mary. They place their trust in the Josh Mukateli study Bible. 
and you're going to see these people dropping like flies. Oh, look, I got the mark on my hand. Look, I got the mark on my forehead. It's a designer mark. Isn't that a cool design? Who told you to get that? Oh, I read the Josh Muckatelli study Bible. I listened to his sermon and he says I can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Makes me mad. I have to be very careful. It makes me mad. Because these are God's people. These are God's sheep. This is God's flock. And to teach these people false doctrines. God's flock requires a special diet. God's flock, God's sheep, his lamb, requires a holy diet. That's his holy word. The word of God, Genesis to Revelation. That's the diet. That's the special diet. But, you know, you see people, their defection away from truth. What do you see in their lives? You see malnourishment. Because they're feeding on crazy food. They don't have their, their what their intake is doesn't match what their body needs. And so you see malnourishment, death. You see the rot. You see, like a malnourished kid, you know, their hair looks all weird. It's like all thinned out. Their skin looks weird. It's like, man, you're malnourished, dude. You know, come on, let's come with me. Hang out with me. Let's eat some lasagna. <laughs> you know, some good food, you know, the from Trader Joe's. I don't know if they have that. But, you know, come with me. Let's eat good food. That's God's sheep, God's flock, God's lambs. They have a very, very special, special diet. And anybody who proclaims to be a feeder of God's flock and gives them a diet that is outside of Scripture, I don't like. It makes me mad. It makes me mad when I hear, you know, the Josh Muckatelli study Bible. When I hear Josh Muckatelli say, yeah, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll be saved. It's okay. You can, you'll, you'll still make it to heaven. It's improper diet for God's sheep. You know, and it's so cool here what we see with Saul. The, the disciples, they didn't believe the, the church in Jerusalem. Man, here's Saul. He's pretending to be a Christian. But he's not really a Christian. I don't believe he's a disciple. No, he's not. He's not one of us. No way. You know, he killed Uncle Joey. You know, he stoned Saul. He was there. I saw it with my own eyes. He was there. He had a, He was holding all the, the guys' clothes, the people who were throwing their stones. And he was right there. He was holding their clothes. And he had a big old smile on his face. Approving of this. Remember, Stephen, what a beautiful man that was. And so all of a sudden, look at here, verse 27. But Barnabas, remember Barnabas? The guy who sold his properties and says here, he just laid 100% of it at the disciples, at the apostles' feet. And says here, however, whatever the church needs, just take it. Barnabas, son of encouragement is what that name translates to. Son of encouragement. 
So the church was like, I don't believe Saul's a Christian. He's not one of us. No way. He used to kill us and throw us in prison. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Remember, Jose, Joseph, first Latino in the Bible. And this Barnabas guy, that Barnabas, his name was Joseph or Jose. You know, I'm Latinizing the word of God. You know, you read it in Latin, you know. I mean, if we're Latin, I would say, you know, you know, Jose. Joseph. And the apostles, they see this. Wow, you know, wow, look at this guy. Joseph, he's coming and he's bringing his, his proceeds. He sold, yeah, he used to be just like, you know, high society. He had property over here, property over here, property over here. Man, look at how wise he was in the business acumen. And then, you know, the church, you know, all, all these people leave the diaspora. But he stayed and he sold his house, sold his properties. And he's giving it to the church. He's giving it to the apostles. Giving it to the Lord, I should say. Just like we see in, you know, Exodus. In our study through Exodus, the people giving to the Lord. And the proceeds of what is given is being used for service. And you see Joseph. And New Testament example of that Old Testament thing, what we see. I shouldn't say the Old Testament thing, but the Old Testament, you know, giving unto the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament giving unto the Lord. And the apostles like, wow, this guy Joseph, you know what? Let's call him Barnabas. You know why? He's such an encouragement to me. He's such an encouragement to the body. He's such an encouragement to all who believe. Because look at what he's doing. Yeah, let's call him Barnabas. So they changed his name to Barnabas. And Barnabas, this son of encouragement, everybody was like, you know, this Saul, I don't believe he's a Christian. He's going to kill us. And Barnabas. That's so cool because, you know, Barnabas was high society. He did have his all his property. But, you know, there's class warfare today. The church that we live in today, the, the environment that we live in today, there's class warfare. But yet Barnabas, you know, in humility, comes to Saul, has a little conversation with Saul. Oh, I heard about your conversion, Saul. Can you tell me more? And Saul, yeah, you know, I was on the way to Damascus. I see the light. voice Saul Saul why are you persecuting me and I said who are you Lord and then I heard the voice say I am Jesus whom you are persecuting It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And you know what, Barnabas? I immediately knew. I immediately knew. And I made a choice. And Barnabas would hear these words. 
Come here, brother. I know you're not well received in Jerusalem, but you know what? I receive you. You know, the two embrace. Barnabas with his connections, he doesn't go to the disciples. He goes to the apostles. Hey guys, hey guys, I know this Saul, I know he what he used to do to us. But he's not who he used to be. He's different. He's different. Look at verse 27. And Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him. Notice the capitalization that he had spoken to him. Jesus Christ had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You see how beautiful the, uh, <laughs> how beautiful Barnabas is? Barnabas is now an intercessor. Interceding for Saul to the apostles. When Saul himself was rejected by the church. Verse 26 says they were afraid of him and they didn't believe that he was a disciple. Hey guys, it's a trick. Don't believe it. And you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily want to speak negatively about that. It's kind of sad. Because in the natural sense, why wouldn't the church be afraid in the natural sense, in the carnal sense, why wouldn't they be afraid? In the carnal sense, in the natural sense, of course you'd be afraid. It, you'd be a fool not to proceed with caution. That's what's so beautiful about Barnabas. You know, I wouldn't say that he was reckless in going to Saul. I don't know what the Lord put on his heart. I don't know the comfort, you know, that the Lord gave him. It's okay, you can go talk to Saul. Or maybe Barnabas could care less about death. Maybe Barnabas looked forward to death. You know, whether I live or die is for Christ. If I live here, take the money. I'll sell my house. Take the money. I don't want it. It's for the Lord. And you know what? I'm going to go have a talk with Saul. And if he chops off my head, so be it. It's for the Lord to live as Christ, to die as gain. He, he helps me. I don't know. But these are things that I ponder. These are things that I wonder about. And I might ask Barnabas during the marriage supper. Barnabas can ask you a question. Just for my own satisfaction. 
That's what's so cool about being sold out to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, fear in, in the natural sense, there's a lot of things to be fearful about. In the natural sense. You'd be a fool not to be fearful about certain things in the natural sense. But you know, in the last days, as people are dropping off like flies, people are going to, in the church, people are going to be running out of their oil, running out of oil, saying, hey, let me borrow some of your oil. Be very selfish with your oil. Very rarely will I advocate selfishness. Be very generous with, you know, the word, be very generous with the word, be very generous in all things. But be very selfish with the oil. Because that's for you. It's personal. That's oil for your lamp. That's oil for your light. When darkness befalls the earth. People around you, they'll be able to see. But they got to be around you. That's how the last day's church is going to be. Light in Goshen. When darkness befalls everybody else. So Barnabas goes to the apostles. You know, the Lord spoke to him. He's not the same Saul. We haven't seen him for a while. We haven't seen him for a while, but you know what he's been doing? He's been preaching boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. In verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem. So, so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. So now Saul is received by the church. You see, and it just started with one guy, Barnabas, son of encouragement, living up to his name, definitely living up to his name, son of encouragement. The church was freaked out. Oh, I don't want Saul. Barnabas, you know, has a little conversation with Saul, goes to the apostles. The apostles say, okay, you know, everything. And when I say the apostles, it's, you know, they, they're like the authorities in the early church. You know, the, the heavies. So I shouldn't say the authorities in a police kind of sense. But I mean, like, you know, the heavies. The heavies. Remember Philip? When Philip was preaching the gospel and the church was growing, that people were coming to faith, and but the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. And Simon was still, you know, walking with the church. He was still he believed in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit skipped over him, and then the heavies came. Peter and John, the heavies came, the apostles came, and Peter called them on it. Hey, your heart isn't right before the Lord. So the heavies here, Barnabas goes to the heavies. And says, hey, this Saul, I know the church is afraid of Saul, but he's a Christian. He's one of us. He's a brother. And so now in, in verse 28, he was with them at Jerusalem. Paul was now joined into the church, coming in and going out, received by the church. Verse 29, he doesn't stop in his, in his, in his, uh, in his uh, exalting of Jesus Christ and his preaching. It says, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Boldly. Boldly here is to be confident and frank. Confident and frank. Remember in Damascus, he was proving that Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus is the Messiah. 
He was proving it to the religious leaders, the 3.8 kids, the 4.2 or the, you know, the, the 4.8 guys. Remember, he was a 5.0. And they wanted to kill him because he was proving Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. In verse 29, he says, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed, disputed. Very huge word here. Because it translates as to debate, to argue, and to reason. And disputed against the Hellenists. Hellenists were Jews who spoke Greek. But they attempted to kill him. He was proving Jesus in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And he was proving them wrong. Wrong. You know, it's like people always, you know. He was straight, like when it says disputed against the Hellenists, he was arguing with them, debating with them, reasoning with them, but still a dispute nonetheless. We are exhorted to live peaceably with men. It's a biblical truth. But that never, ever means that we cower to false doctrine. You know, that's just so cool. You know, I, I often wonder what would what would it be like if Paul had a time machine and he came into the church today? I honestly don't think he would be well received. I don't think he would be well received at all. In fact, I think he would be kicked out of the church today. Because he's too hardcore. Oh, you know what? Why are you arguing with those people? Don't dispute with those people. Let's just love. We're called to love. We're supposed to be loving. Yeah, we're supposed to be loving. A biblical truth. But that doesn't mean that we cower to false doctrine. Never, ever, ever cower to false doctrine. When you're confronted with false doctrine, bust out your sword. You're confronted with false doctrine. You go to bust out your sword. You're like, oh, I left it at home. Don't be that person. You're confronted with false doctrine. Man, Sunday, you were banging on that sword like crazy. And it's sharper than you. Oof. It's so sharp. You did, you know, your, your Bible study time at home. That sword is so sharp. Wednesday, that sword is so sharp. Thursday, you're confronted with false doctrine. Oh, yeah, Josh Mocatelli says this. What do you do? A little smile on your face. You reach down, grab the handle of your sword. You pull it out and you start slicing. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. Joe Schmo study Bible. This book, you know, how to do this, how to do this. Garbage. Yeah, you confer with flesh and blood, but you know what? I don't confer with flesh and blood. I confer with the word of God. I confer with Jesus Christ. I have intimacy with him. You know, it's not like a, a, a prideful kind of thing. 
but it's to say, you know what? Yeah, I know what a defensive posture looks like. I've been on a defensive posture, but you know what? It's time for offense. It's so cool how, how you see this, this picture in the book of Acts of how the Lord works, how the Holy Spirit moves, how the Holy Spirit directs paths. God the Father, you know, when God the Father told the angel, the angel, come here. The angel come. Yes, Lord. You know, angel, I want you to go to Philip. Tell him I got a special task for him. In obedience, the angel goes down. Philip, you know, this is what the Lord has. Philip, in obedience, goes down and he starts preaching a gospel. The Lord is directing the steps. You see, I mean, that's just a couple chapters in the book of Acts that, you know, that account. And the whole time you see the Lord directing the steps. You see, Philip is like in unison with the angel who's in unison with the father, who's in unison with this, who is the spirit, you know? It's like all one. They're just vessels. Philip is just a vessel. Saul, just a vessel. Ananias, just a vessel. I shouldn't say just a vessel, beautiful, beautiful vessels, but still a vessel. It's the Lord that's doing the work. You say, what do you mean? I don't get it. I don't understand. What do I say? Get understanding. Get wisdom. Open up your eyes. Not the eyes to the world. Not the eyes of the flesh. Open up your spiritual eyes and see and behold the work of the Lord. So Saul, he's speaking boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. <laughs> he goes back to his hometown, but I love this song. <laughs> this is so cool. I love Saul so much, you know, like his conversion and who he was. Because like he would speak. Remember, when he was in Damascus, they wanted to kill him, so they had to get him. He was lowered in a basket. And here they want to kill him, so they say, Hey, Saul, you got to go to Tarsus, man. You know, I love you so much. You're so, you edify the body, and I love you. You help us. And man, your knowledge of the Old Testament, it's so beautiful in how you teach us these things. But it's kind of dangerous, man. You got to go. <laughs> you know, the people don't like how you say it like this, you know. And it's so cool. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. You know what I love about Paul so much? He doesn't stop. He does not stop. Just as he was a 5.0 in accordance with the Pharisees and the Pharisaical teachings, he's like 5.0 in accordance to grace. He does not stop. Stop. I love it. There's certain people in the Bible where it's like, wow, I love this guy. I love this girl. You read about Paul, it's like, whoa. He's hardcore. In verse 31, then the churches, the churches, the ecclesia is how it translates. The body or the assembly of saints. You know, you have the Pope nowadays. Who needs to read a Bible? He's biblically illiterate. 
the Pope, you know, he says, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll saint this person, but I have to do all these. There's this process for sainthood. Garbage. You read the Bible, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're obedient to Jesus Christ. You're a saint. Saint Fur, Saint Liz, Saint Emily. You're a saint. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. It's so cool. The whole region, all the churches in the region had peace and were edified. Translates as had peace, quietness, and rest and were edified. Translates as and were constructed, built up, edified, and coached. And coached. Kind of like our study in Exodus 36. Remember the tabernacle was being constructed. The tabernacle was being built up. But what about in accordance with faith? All these vessels coming together and is being edified, being built up. The church is being built up. I think it's very interesting. Very, very, very interesting. When you consider the boldness of Paul. Everywhere he goes, people want to kill him. Except the church. The church loves him. Well, I, I shouldn't say the church loves him. Some of the church love him. Others in the church don't like him. But that didn't change his boldness. He was bold. Confident and frank. And he spoke thus. And the Hellenists wanted to kill him. The Jews in Damascus want to kill him. And we're going to see even further. Rome wants to kill him. All these people want to kill him. But yet the Lord used him. Remember, I wonder, you know, remember they hated Jesus first. When the world hates you, they hated Jesus first. That's why you can be of good cheer when the world hates you. Be of good cheer. Because you're in good company. When the world wants to kill you, when the world wants to chop off your head, be of good cheer. Oh, I, I don't want to get my head chopped off, so I'm going to go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Because, uh, you know, the uh, Pastor Josh Mukatelli, he tells me I can take the mark of the beast and still be, still be saved. Well, you read the Bible and no. That's a sure way to hell. That's a sure path to destruction. This guy, Josh Mukatelli, he's feeding God's people an improper diet. And what do you see in the church? Anemia, you see all kinds, you know, malnourishment. That's what you see. Metaphysically speaking, you look at malnourished kids nowadays, you can tell, you can see it. Their hair is like all thin and their skin looks weird. You know, you, their eyes, their, their tint of their eyes, you know, their teeth, they're all rotted. You can see it. Wow, this kid is malnourished. And that's why, wow, let me get you fixed up, you know, come hang out with me. Get some good food. Go to the dentist, get those cavities taken care of. You see that, wow, you got nourishment now, you're strong. You can grow, but you, what do you see in the church today? You can look at the fruit, but you see the malnourishment. These things are made evident. And that's what the Lord says, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. But I think it's very interesting here. 
that the churches in the area, in all the region, they had peace, they had quietness, they had rest, and they were edified. They were built up. They were constructed and coached. And, says, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Multiplied. And I say this is interesting for a reason. Because peace, edification, comfort, beautiful things. They are a byproduct of truth and walking in the fear of God. A byproduct. So yeah, you know, the people were like, wow, Paul's hardcore. He would say these things and yeah, you know, it's abrasive. I don't like it. But when you're trained by it, you have peace, you have edification, you have comfort. You walk in the fear of the Lord. You have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So many people want the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but they sacrifice truth. In the name of, you know, I'm air quoting here, but in the name of peace, in the name of comfort, truth is often sacrificed, too often sacrificed because they put feelings over truth. Oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm not going to tell you about this sin. I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm not going to tell you to repent. I don't want to hurt your feelings, so you know what? Once saved, always saved. You believed in Jesus Christ. You called on the name of Jesus Christ when you were 10 years old. Okay, once saved, always saved. What's that? You're beating on your wife. Okay, once saved, always saved. What's that? You got needles in your arm. Oh, once saved, always saved. What's that? You call on the name of Buddha. Oh, once saved, always saved. Well, you're calling on Virgin Mary to intercede to, to, you know, you're praying to her. You fall on your knees and you pray to her. You light your candles to her. Oh, once saved, always saved. You're good to go. A defection away from truth. Oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So in the name of peace, in the name of comfort, truth is sacrificed. That's very common in the church today. But you know what I say? It's the other way around. Flip the coin. An adherence to truth. All these things that are desired. Peace, edification, comfort. Walking in the fear of God. It's all a byproduct of truth. That's how God works. That's the holy equation. That's the holy equation. It says the church here walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. You see, this is how the Lord works. We're going to end our study here and pick up in verse 32 next week. And we're going to see this account of Peter. And it's so beautiful because you start to see a picture of the Holy Spirit going into the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit. Where remember, you know, that it was, you know, to the Jew first, preach the good news to the Jew first. But then what happened to the Jews? And, you know, it started when they were, you know, when Jesus Christ was, uh, when, when uh, Pontius Pilate said, you know, here is here is uh, your king about Jesus Christ. Here's your king. And they cry out, we have no king but Caesar. 
we have no king but Caesar. And then he says again, yeah, I, yeah, I have uh, 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 Barsabbas uh, 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 or uh, uh, a Barabbas or uh, uh, Jesus Christ. Who do you pick? He said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And Jesus Christ on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. And so there's this little final generation of Jews. Paul's one of them. Final generation of Jews where it's like the good news goes forth. The church is growing. The church is multiplying. Remember all the Jews that came to Jerusalem to, you know, uh, give homage to the Lord. We studied that Acts chapter 2. And then, you know, even in Acts chapter 8, you see a picture of the uh, uh, the Ethiopian, the eunuch, a beautiful man. On his way back to Ethiopia, and then Philip is used. It's so cool because, you know, Philip was like straight. You see like a little picture of the rapture when Philip was taken by the Lord. The spirit caught, caught up harpazo. You see all these things and Philip never stopped preaching. That's how the Lord works. The fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see how this, the Holy Spirit starts moving. The Lord starts directing, okay, this is the final generation of, of Jews. And, you know, to provoke them to jealousy, now I'm going to the Gentiles. And you start to see a little shift start to happen. So we're going to end our study here. And we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, right here in verse 32. But uh, love you guys. Miss you guys. God bless you.